right, well, you can walk into a movie theater in Amsterdam and buy a beer. And I don't mean just like a little paper cup, I'm talking about a glass of beer. And in Paris, you can buy beer in McDonald's. And you know what they call a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? They get the metrics. Welcome to the Hookup on Film with Adam and Tony. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, everybody, tonight to another awesome edition of The Hookup on Film. And as we do once a month, tonight, because of my amazing partner, how's it going tonight? What's going on, Tony? It's your boy, Adam. Oh, and my boy, Adam, is always comes up with the goods. And let me tell you, we've been doing this now for a couple months. It was his creation, and what a creation it was. And we've been breaking down different directors, and tonight we will be breaking down the directorial career of Ben Stiller. Um, But before we get to that, right now, I'm going to hit this amazing video, and we're going to get started with a couple Ben Stiller movies. In honor of Ben Stiller, we are doing a Ben Stiller versus... Uh, we start every single episode comparing two films with the verses, and in honor of breaking down his incredible career, we are going to discuss two of his bigger films that he has acted in. That is Night at the Museum, the original, and Meet the Parents. Dowdy! Which one you picking? You know, you said something to me last week, my man, and it's really gotten into my soul. You said, pick one. Pick a definitive answer. And this point forward... You know, I was always, until about the last five years ago, I was not wishy-washy, and I picked a definitive answer. My definitive answer is Meet the Parents. Um, love Night at the Museum, though, um, while doing this, this, this research and seeing so many cool clips. Oh, you're in trouble, dum-dum. You better run, run, from the kill of the hunt, hunt. <laughs> Night at the Museum is great. You know, I think it's, I think what it is, is it would be a lot better for me if I was 10, 11, or 12. But that being said, I think I'd still like meet the parents more when I was 10, 11, or 12. Lots of good jokes um, in Meet the Parents is why probably I enjoy that one more. Um, De Niro, man. De Niro's great. What do you think? Yeah, Night at the Museum, like I, uh, is definitely meant more towards kids. Saturday mornings when the wife and I don't really want to parent, we're just like flipping through HBO. It's like, hey, what else can we show our kids so we can just play on our phones for an hour? And we we threw up the Night at the Museum trilogy. I think they're on HBO. My five year old, now six year old, like really like a big fan of these movies. I mean, it's got, it's like, it's silly for kids, but like, in a way that can also entertain adults, which is kind of probably why it made a lot, a lot of money. Yeah. Um, it is. Are you a fan of uh, Reno Nine One One? Love Reno Nine One One. Love Reno Nine One One. Thomas Lennon and Ben Robert Ben Grant, who they got their start in the state or prominence in the state, and wrote that museum. Pause. Me and you, Anis. I don't know. Maybe it'd just be me by myself. Uh, you're talking to somebody who watched the state when it was originally running. And 
to this day, I'm looking for people to talk about the state. So awesome, awesome bringing that up right there. Who's bumped? Yeah. Good job. The, the state was a little bit too old for me at the time. I know, but still, you just oh. name checking it right yeah. here. I'm excited. I mean, Go you because you look at like the the comedic forces behind the state. They all like basically went on to bigger and better things. I mean, the the, the people in that in that comedy troupe was just so freaking hysterical, and I absolutely love Rito and one. And obviously. Right. Read our 911. The humor isn't going to be in the same type of humor in Night at the Museum, but it's one of those like solid movies. And to be honest, I feel like this may be a little bit theme when we talk about Ben Stiller's directorial career. It's like if you're kind of looking for something like turn your brain off a little bit, it's entertaining, it's fun, you're not really going to be disappointed by it. Like Night at the Museum is the perfect movie for that. Um, it's really great for almost all ages. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I like. Meet the parents, maybe because like it came out around the like in 2000, um, right before I mean, right before 9 11, too. So that bomb joke really you couldn't do no a year later. No, no, you couldn't. Um, I didn't think of that either. I literally just thought of that right now. I was like, oh man, because it's a very, it's a very funny bit at the end, but it's a little bit more adult. It deals with you know more adult things, you know. Stiller's like trying to his character is you know about to get married and wants to ask his father for a hand in marriage and you know things go awry so it's like a little bit sticky but because it's a little bit more adult and I think it has a little bit more adult jokes while also having the guy's name is Gay Fokker um yeah I mean the jokes I mean the jokes throughout the whole movie are, are honestly I watched it just this DVD cover uh, on the screen here is what brings it back to me because I watched it as a DVD first. And I remember that gold at the top. And I wasn't really like another movie where I was like, I don't know about this, I guess. And man, the, Not a lot. the fact, jokes I hit. Clarify this. I didn't actually grow up in a farm per se. And the house that we grew up in was originally erected in the early Dutch farm colonial style. So that plus we had a lot of pets. Which one did you milk then? You know, I mean... It, you gotta go first. I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? You you, <laughs> you take that whole entire scene at the table and then, not, you know, and then honestly, there's lines in that movie where he goes, you know, De Niro especially, man, he nails it. He goes, Jinxie's been like a brother to you. <laughs> the way, like, his voice, like, I buy it. Um, you know, uh, you know, when he calls him Panama Red, um, because he's been smoking like the little brother is the one who's been smoking, but they think that Ben Stiller's the one who's been smoking the weed or whatever, and they start calling them names and stuff like that. The movie is just pretty much Owen Wilson, too, who's in both Night at the Museum and this movie. Actually, uh, my favorite line probably in the whole movie, and I use it quite a lot, is you put too much goddamn lacquer on this thing, and that's why it burnt down, which is, well, you know, it's not the most positive sometimes saying, but still hilarious in that movie. Um, great movie, though. Meet the Parents definitely will cheer you up. Yeah, it, it's definitely, I think, been marred a little bit by its two sequels. I think the third one is absolutely atrocious. Um, but the, the first one is, is really good. It's also... It, it's a really weird point in Robert De Niro's career in the sense that he's been 30 years of essentially being like the best actor on the planet. And like, he's clearly now transitioning to be like, 
you know, I've done everything. I've done 15 movies with Martin Scorsese. I have some yeah. Academy Awards, and now I just kind of want to make my money. Yeah. Um, like he had done, I think, Analyze This or That. Yep. I can't remember which one the first one is, but I think that came out like a few years before Meet the Parents. Yeah. 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 Um, so like, and like he had done Rocky and Bo Winkle in the late 90s. Like he's oh, clearly God. not, he's like not even like with Heat, like, He's just clearly, he's not, it's not like he hasn't fully given up yet because he very much commits to this role in Meet the Parents, but it's also, you're not getting Godfather De Niro either. No, you surely are not. But you're you also know. not getting bad grandpa De Niro either. No, no, you're so not. I think, it, I think it works really well for mm-hmm. this like transition, like where he's now starting to transition to just like, I'll take any movie if you give me $20 million. Well, those two sequels are, I think, are more of a product of just a really bad script. Really bad ideas where, honestly, I think if me and you were given just a weekend to sit into an apartment and we've never written a script before, we could come up with some way better ideas. Because you got Harvey Keitel, you got Dustin Hoffman showing up, and you're thinking, man. Uh, But this first one, um, what do you think about, do you think all the Night at the Museums, do you think they're all really good? How do you think those play Um, out? They're at least... More, more consistent with like what the franchise is so like they're not that terrible um i mean they all have like the same conceits right of like oh these things come to life and we need to stop it and then put everything back together again yeah um but at least two has like a, a fun amy adams performance at the center of it to bounce off um is this one of, uh robin williams would you say last big performances would you say yeah, I'm clearly on the well, I love his the stuff that he does with um Bobcat Goldthwait towards the end of yeah, his career. Yeah, that's good. That's some good stuff there. No, but I mean, was. clearly those movies are like a Straight bajillion touch. yeah, a bajillion more people saw Night at the Museum than they saw yeah. World's Greatest well, Dad. Bobcat Goldthwait, that that's an interesting that movie right there. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a goodly interesting movie cuz definitely different than what the title gives off it to be and I I like that one. Apparently, I didn't realize like Robin Williams and Bobcat Goldthwait were like best friends and like roommates. Oh, so, like part of that was like a favorite of Bobcat. But I mean, it's a good, it's a really good. Um, what's his face? Robin Williams' performance, oh, yeah. regardless. But yeah, it's like clearly Robin Williams is now. I actually like the Robin Williams stuff in that at the museum because sometimes he can be a bit much, and by. Clearly, there's a lot of like sanding of the edges of everyone's harshness in those movies in general. Plus, he has a smaller role where I think it works well for what the movie asks of him. Two people who really got involved in uh, doing things outside of the movie uh, that people should not do that are awesome is the ever forementioned Owen Wilson and uh, Steve Coogan. Um, they partied quite a bit. <laughs> and the downtime of this movie and when i meet party i put a capital p and um generally pretty aw- I, I often like juxtapositions like you're doing this crazy partying but then you're making night at the museum so like this kids movie and you're they're holding they're great in the movie both both actors are great in it everyone's really good in it um i think if again it's just because meet the parents it's that time period again you know we're night at the museum i i think as you stated, probably I will appreciate it more like as you're stating as, you know, my daughter gets older. Yeah, I, I mean, both movies, I think, are purposefully targeting different audiences, but successfully doing so. That is meet, the, meet the Parents is like, 
you know, when I, I saw that in high school and it was definitely meant for like teenagers versus Night at the Museum is, I think, 100% gearing towards littler kids and succeeding quite well at it. That's true. Which I also think is why we picked Meet the Parents, too, because it's geared a little bit more older and we're obviously not even close to being teenagers anymore either. Don't say that. You know, 21 years ago, don't say that. All right, those are uh, our verses of Ben Stiller's acting roles. Let's move on to some films that he directed. All right, let's do it. Film number one. 1994. So he had directed some like TV stuff. He directed some stuff on his like TV show he did. But the very first motion picture, we talked about a little bit in our 1994 draft episode. It's uh, Reality Bites. Always the mistress of etiquette. Just out of curiosity, why are you suddenly acting like a jealous girlfriend? All right. We're just trying to pay bills here, okay? So, Troy, if you got any money. Money? Oh, but what's money to an artist? All right. It is a film written by Helen Childress, uh, mainly starring Ethan Hawke and Wynonna Ryder. Um, ben Stiller comes in, I feel like, 45 minutes in the movie to have a love triangle between, uh, you know, to play off of the, the um, lackadaisical is not the right word, but like the cool slacker in Ethan Hawke's Troy versus Ben Stiller's Comes in, you know, he's got a suit and tie in the poster. He works, I think he works for MTV in the movie, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He's corporate, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Um, the more corporate side and way known to writer, she's just graduated from college, not sure what to do with her life per se. She wants to be some sort of documentarian in the arts, but they're all a little bit aimless. Um, what'd you think of Reality Bites? I've always been a really fan, a big fan of reality bites i think it's a good movie um as you stated i think there's a, actually the soundtrack is really really good for the movie um it's not my favorite of all of the directorial movies that we're talking about and there was another movie that came around the same time by cameron crow it was called singles which i liked a little bit better than this movie um this movie though is really good and i think it definitely it's one of those time places in time. Like, I don't know if you took from this considering, but did you feel like that nineties vibe from the movie? Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I also think this is a little bit in conversation too, with Noah Baumbach's kicking and screaming because it really feels like a, a Gen X movie in the sense that granted, obviously I am not Gen X. My Twitter handle literally is millennial socks. <laughs> um, but like if you, I've heard people who were Gen X at the time and saw this like right out of college. It feels like that movie would speak to you in a little bit different way because it's a little bit generational in the sense of like if you were there, kind of you get the sense of shit. Like this isn't the generation that went and like worked to the factories or went to war. This is the generation past that. So like now, what do we do when we graduate college? So it feels like it, the little time capsule of like that generation around this time in the mid to late 90s or early to mid 90s. And I think it's really like you obviously can enjoy it without being there as, as I have, but it's also like when you think of Ben Stiller, it's like not it's a little bit unben Stiller like where it's not really goofy in any way shape or form. Like even like you know we talked about it with his acting with Night at the Museum and 
I mean, the parents, there's a goofiness to it. And we'll talk about it, I think, with a little bit later of his films that it's like you don't really see, but like I really enjoyed. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an enjoyable movie. It's like, as you stated, it's kind of like a time capsule type of movie. Um, when doing research on this, I guess that the uh, Peacock is currently in development of a television series based upon this. I don't know. I doubt it's got to do with Jen. X and has to do with probably something a little bit more, um, you know, uh, probably present, kind of like they did with the newest uh, High Fidelity. They mixed it up a little bit and they switched it up. Um, Danny DeVito produced this movie, which I found to be a little bit interesting. Um, also, a pretty big budget for this type of movie $11.5 million to make reality bites. I thought that that was kind of high for 1994 for this type of movie. Apparently, I went to the soundtrack. Well, yeah, I mean, they went to pay for Lisa Loeb. Man, that Lisa Loeb song. I mean, I could literally tell you how much that song was blowing up when it came out. Um, My Sharona by The Knack. That was what really um, brought that back. But that Lisa Loeb song, again, even you just bringing it up, gets stuck in my head. That video was on MTV. Um, Overall, though, enjoyable movie good movie what i do find um funny about like clearly watching it not necessarily in the era that it was intended or set so like obviously i watch it later is winona writer's documentary like seems absolutely unintelligible (laughs) so like the fact that like ben stiller his character is like um yeah, totally. Like, let's fix this up and we can put it on MTV. And her just being so against that versus, like, clearly 20 years later, like, if you can get something on MTV, you're, like, taking that money and running because there's absolutely no money to be made anywhere else. Like, you put it on YouTube and whatever. But uh, she gets so upset that he wants to to sand off the edges of her terrible documentary. Yeah. That is that is very, 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 very true. And I think, you know, generally it's... No, let me ask you a question really quick because you, you brought it up. Now, I know probably I, you know, I was only like when this was really going on 11, 10, I wasn't really in this generation um, like these, these people. But like, do you look back at any past generation and say that it's better than the millennial generation? Like, would you would have rather been when the Beatles were around? 70s are you totally do you, cool do you think that if we were around in like the 60s and 70s with all these great artists that we would understand that we were in the midst of greatness or do you think that they're great because they've stood the test of time let's be really honest with another and i, I run this run this because honestly just in a little and we're not the little sect that we find ourselves sometimes on on the internet i see so many people putting the beatles down where I don't really think that they even know who the Beatles are because they haven't sat down and really listened to the Beatles, where I find a lot of this generation, like Lollapalooza released their lineup today. You know, uh, I heard somebody say, oh, the reason I don't like these artists is because I'm old and I don't know them. No, I listen to music. A lot of those artists are not good. Like, like you could blame age about it, but like when my daughter is growing up i want to try to listen to that same music to see if it isn't and i'm a, because i like the beatles i'll know a little bit more of good or bad or as you mentioned earlier run the jewels great band you're not going to sit there and a new band going to come out and be like you know i've seen run the jewels great show 
That's because you've been to a festival in your life, so of course you've seen Run the Jewels. Well, that's true, too. That's fair. That is very, very fair. But to be fair, it was I had to get one of those Q101 Christmas concerts with uh, Queens of the Stone Age at the Aragon Ballroom, uh, which actually... they opened, which generally wouldn't have found myself just going to their show and had the big fists above the stage. That was awesome. Love those guys. I mean, that's like a question for like probably your other podcast of like, is music only good when you're young and you're growing up? Like, is music nowadays really that bad, or have we aged out of good music? Well, that's a converse. That's probably I love playing Time Machine. So, like me, I love thinking in the '70s. Yes, you're right. I wouldn't know how great this music is, but getting to pay four bucks to go see it and being like not hankered by like Ticketmaster gouging me, like <laughs> you know, by like thirty, you know so much money you know that kind of stuff but you're right the greatness of it no that's the like, good part about it now i absolutely love rock music from like the early 2000s but it also yeah. happens to be the time that i was in high school and college yeah so like i don't know i love the white stripes and they're not eligible for the rock and roll hall of fame like i'm clearly fucking old well <laughs> i could tell you exactly from i was when i was at ball state coming home with elephant and blasting it on my radio all the way home. I mean, that's 2003, 2004, you know. Those kind of, I mean, let's be honest, what kind of bands are like that right now? I mean, like they're, the they're not exist. They're not existing. All right, wait, before we move on, I, I do have another music-related question for you. Please. Do you think the Strokes are, I guess I want to, I want to know your opinion of the Strokes because I feel like when I hear people talk on the coasts, they're like one of the greatest rock bands ever. And us being in the Midwest, I feel like, and maybe I don't know if it's just my bubble or like it's just like a Midwest thing, but I feel like they were fine. But like, I like the Killers better. I like the White Stripes better. I like the Yeah Yeah Yeahs better. Uh, I don't agree with those those sentiments that they're the best thing that came out of New York. I think those bands that you mentioned are better, right? Um, but I'll also say that they're. They got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of good songs, and I will disagree. No, with, I'll disagree with you. With I'm, I'm the one. I and I listen to all their albums, and honestly, I go back and forth with a lot of people. I love the Killers, but if you listen to the newest Killers album and you listen to the newest Strokes album, Strokes have been bad for a while. This newest album, they had, and it was. I think they won the Grammy. But, but I mean, like their their first two albums, the early two thousand Strokes. No, no, you're right. They were put up on a pedestal. Okay. I feel like music was kind of in a, a time because there's a lot of like poppiness going on. So like in a post like boy band era, the music people like music journalists and writing about music were so like, yeah. oh my god, Strokes are the best thing ever. Like Spin Magazine like blew them out of proportion. And yeah, I just but, feel like the Strokes they're good, but they're not like god level good that I feel like a lot of music journalists on the coasts well, gave to them. You ever? <laughs> And we're going to disagree here for a second, but I think a lot there's a little bit of that Nirvana. Yeah, we you know, and, you know, I, but I don't think I think that bands like Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, and Alice in Chains were way better bands than Nirvana. Nirvana played two chords. Nevermind was great, but it was a product of its time. Um, I love Nirvana. Don't get me wrong, and people, but like. If you listen to, if you run an account, I want you to run this poll tomorrow on your account because you got a lot of followers. Just put, if you could go see them, who would you see? Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, and somebody else and see who they pick. Beastie Boys. 
and, and see if they or Soundgarden and see if they pick Nirvana. And if they do, you know, then I maybe I'm wrong. I just think that Beatles, Nirvana, people aren't as hip to them, and I don't know why because they're great bands. You know they're great, but I also know a lot of people hate you too. I'm sure you don't like you too. I'm not the biggest fan. Yeah, but like what's I've heard that from a lot of people, but then they come into town and they got six sold out shows to United Center, and you're like, the Bulls aren't even selling out the United <laughs> Center for six games, you know. But music is that's what this movie's back to the movie. That's why personally for me with the movie, for me, my connection was was the music to the movie. And I think Ben Stiller did a good job with that. I will say I wish I like that soundtrack. I wish it was better in retrospect. Like I wish that soundtrack was a little bit more representative of like 1994 than it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the soundtrack. You're absolutely right. It is no really. I mean, it's got the knack. Juliana Hatfield three underground uh, band world party. The posies. These are all Lisa Loeb, which is no representation. You two is a representation of the 80s, Crowded House, the 80s, Lenny Kravitz, kind of the 80s, Ethan Hawke, Dinosaur, no. No, you're absolutely right. right. Um, I will say really, really cheesy video, played quite a lot, um, actually more than Lisa Loeb was the last track on this soundtrack. It's Baby I Love Your Way cover by Big Mountain. I do uh, like that cover, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's fun, but all right. All right, next film, I think we're going to disagree a little bit on it, is uh, two years later, he came out, he directed a film. He's barely in it, but it is directed by Ben Stiller. It's called The Cable Guy. Check it. Looks good. Okay, let's see what you got, White Shadow. I think the lobby's open. All right. All right, it is written by Lou Holtz Jr. It stars Jim Carrey, Matthew Broderick, and Leslie Mann. Fun fact, this is the film that Judd Apatow met Leslie Mann because Apatow was a producer on this film and they fell in love and we will do a Judd Apatow director rankings later in the year. Um, this is a story, you Matthew Broderick, he's just getting out of a relationship. Um, it's kind of on the rocks with the Leslie Mann character. Calls uh, the cable company to get some cable hooked up. Jim Carrey comes along, um, strikes up a friendship, but uh, things go awry very, very quickly. It's, uh, I think, meant to be a dark humor also about our society and our obsession with screens, which is fairly prescient nowadays. But uh, I know you like this film more than I do, so I'll let you, I'll clear some runway for you. For what do you like about the cable guy? I like, I like the humor and I don't mean like, and I mean, I, we've, when you texted me about this, I said like, you, it doesn't have to be a Jim Carrey vehicle. It could have been anybody. Like, I'm not saying like Jim, like the jokes in this movie, like to me, the Ben Stiller scenes are really, really hilarious. Cause he's trying to portray, who's he trying to portray? He's um the Ben Stiller character. Yeah. Yeah. He, it's like a, Take on like the Menendez brother yeah, child. Yeah. So like me at the time watching, like I know my parents were watching that stuff on television. And then you go to the movies and you're sitting there and it's, this is a movie you've asked me about before. This movie is a product of me and a buddy of mine. I remember it was a summer and we watched cable guy and 
the rock i think it was what it was with nichols cage in the same in the same day and it was just us two and you know it's a product of being able to see it in the movie theater i love matthew broderick in this movie i love matthew broderick in election i love i think matthew broderick plays the ridiculous why is this going on? Why is this happening to me? Like Jim Carrey isn't who I really enjoy about the movie. A lot of people were down on Jim Carrey in the performance. I think it's a great performance, um, but it's that dark humor. If you know anything about me, and you do, is obviously sometimes I know a little bit about you. Obviously, even in, in a text message, sometimes uh, I sound a certain tone. But if we were in person, I'd be like, "What? This is just kind of." I'd say it like this. Whereas that's what this movie is. It's a lot of one tone, like him where he puts his nipple against this, the thing in the jail and stuff like that. Just a lot of ridiculousness. What didn't you like about this movie? Because I'm curious. Uh, I will say I didn't hate it as much as I thought it would. In fact, I didn't, I didn't hate it at all. Um, the big issue I had for this movie is I felt the tone was inconsistent throughout. Where... I didn't feel it like I understood like what Silver's going for, and I didn't mind the dark humor so much either. But there were scenes like the medieval time scene and the basketball scene where it's like a little bit like the sillier Jim Carrey comes yeah, out, yeah, like the right. the masks Jim Carrey comes out, no, you're right. and it wasn't this darker stalker character throughout the entire thing. And um, there were parts where it was like sweet. And like even later in the movie, and I just felt like Stiller didn't do a great job handling the tone throughout the entire film. That's fair. Um, I, I agree also, with you there. I also will say, like, and I know that's it's the point of the movie, but like when you feel so much for the Matthew Broderick character, like he's your protagonist character, your point of view character, like when Jim Carrey's being like a shit ass to him, it's like stop being a shit ass to him, you jerk. Like I just I wanted. Matthew Broderick to just like let him live his life, let him record Leslie Mann. What are you doing, Jim? You uh, Matthew Broderick doing the porno password, that whole scene that was pretty funny with Leslie Mann, and they're all and Jim Carrey's there, and he's like, they're saying the porno words or whatever, and Matthew Broderick's getting more upset. Like, you're absolutely right, you know. It's it, Jim Carrey. I mean, in all in, in, in honesty, he becomes a little bit annoying in the movie. You know, there was one line from this movie I used to use all the time on Friends. It would be, it was a joke, but it was always, you know, I just don't have any room in my life for a new best friend. You know, I've got no time. It's pretty much what he says to him. And he's pretty much like, yeah, okay. And he still keeps coming and coming around and coming around. It's pretty much the ultimate ridiculous version of Fatal Attraction. Yeah. Um, when you realize at the end, though, that the real reason that he had all these twisted fantasies was because he sat in front of the television his whole life it put a little bit more perspective into the movie but yeah you're right the tones were off honestly i liked jack black in that basketball scene he kind of helped the tone because he also was playing like broderick like what the hell's the matter with this guy um but the tones i and the medieval times uh the thing i will say about that is i liked andy dick is the one who's like the head of it. He's like, welcome to medieval times. And he pretty much gets everybody that he worked with on the Ben Stiller show involved in this. But you're right. It, it is, there is tonal 
this isn't a movie where I would say, man, I stand by this. I could see that in a lot of it. But Broderick is who I, I really kind of yeah. I go for in this movie. Broderick is good in it. The Jim Carrey, the, the lisp that he's purposefully doing with it, it didn't bother me so much as the movie went on. I kind of got used to it in a way that was actually kind of surprising for me. I was like, this is because when it first came on, it's like, holy shit, dude, please stop. <laughs> um, well, but it, it's fine. It's It goes with the character. The character's messed up. I get it. There's also, like, like I said, there's there's like points in this movie, particularly with the stiller scenes of like trying to make a point of like we shouldn't be staring at screens that should be super prescient when i watch this movie in 2023 that's just like not consistent throughout the movie either where it's like i don't know like there should have been a bigger thing to it because the whole climax is i guess i'm gonna spoil this movie it's whatever um where like they break the satellite and you don't find out the verdict yeah and like the movie was like kind of leaving breadcrumbs in it but like i didn't think it was super successful making that point so when the climax happens and like the people watching like i think one you know one of the characters is huge starts to read a book it's like i get the point you're trying to make it just didn't seem like the breadcrumbs earlier were woven super successfully so when you have this climax of everything it didn't land super well for me it seems like I was, you know, again doing a Reese. Two things: number one, originally uh, Chris Farley was attached to be the cable guy. Can you imagine the movie with Chris Farley? And then Adam Sandler was asked, and he kind of passed. They kind of really had to talk Jim Carrey into it. They went to the Ace Ventura um, when Nature Calls set, and he actually had to give a little bit of some input on some sets and stuff like that to Judd Apatow and Stiller. Um, before he would uh, participate. But, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I'm curious to see, because I honestly I haven't heard too much sit-down between anybody on this movie, really, out of their own mouth saying, wow, this was great, not great. I feel like if you want to do that darker tone that the movie was going for, it, I would rather have Jim Carrey. I thought he did it that those parts, like, well. Yeah. They're like, I can't see Sandler or Farley being... Anything not, other than, than not at balls. that time period. Like, I guess maybe you, Sandler. I should say something like Sandler now, but like yeah. it'd be cool to see Sandler doing it now. Like Sandler now. just in his uncut Jebs character. Yes, yes. <laughs> My face, oh, he's crying. All the man, yes. Definitely. Was it um, er, like because in the movie they do like a, a parody of the Ben Stiller's characters, like they do a made-for-TV movie. Yes. And it's was Eric that, Roberts. Yeah, I was gonna say because I see Eric Roberts, I couldn't remember the, there that. Was part Eric was funny. Roberts, and that part was great. Like that's and listen to me, you know it and I know it. That the whole if you added up all of the Stiller Eric Roberts, it's like three minutes. Right. And I'm like, man, that movie's great because of the Ben Stiller parts. That's been me on the movie. I know that there's a lot. Um, I also like the little party that he throws at the apartment, and then he's like pissed off. Stiller's like really pissed off because he takes those pictures. <laughs> Oh, that's just a good. Some of those parts are good. Yeah, there's there's like good moments in it. It just wasn't super successful as a whole. No, no, it wasn't. No. Like, I actually feel like there's like a little bit of like, can you take this concept and remake it? Because a lot of the themes kind of are prescient. Yeah, that's why I just when it's I just brought this up version wasn't Sandler, that successful. Yeah, when I brought up Sandler in my head, I would I thought about like if Sandler if they were to make this movie now. Um, 
you know, what's crazy, and this is um, the film grossed 19 million opening weekend. And at that time, it was the highest opening weekend for a Ben Stiller film holding the record until Meet the Parents surpassed it. Pretty interesting. But uh, really? yeah, that's Cable Guy. All right. Uh, ben Stiller would not make a movie till another five years where uh, it came out, I think, like right after 9 11, too, which is. Uh, that's Zoolander. A center for ants. What? How can we be expected to teach children to learn how to read if they can't even fit inside the building? Oh my god, I'm laughing just hearing the clips. <laughs> so I wish you would. I will have to tell you later when I was recording them. <laughs> it was good. It was a good time. Uh, before you before you say your piece, I want to tell you my oh, Zoolander yeah, please, story. Please. So I was uh, I was in high school. Uh, I was 14 years old in 2001. This movie was set perfectly right towards me, and I remember seeing the trailers, thinking this movie looks even too stupid for me. I did not want to see this movie, and my friends like, bro, you have to. I promise you. Watch this movie. So I was like, oh, begrudgingly fine. I'll watch. I, I must have rented it because I don't think I was. But, or I definitely saw it like after everyone else had saw it. And I was like, okay, I get it. This movie's freaking hysterical. <laughs> it, it's, it's all. I mean, honestly, I'll be honest with you. This was one that I, I started with a very negative for what you were just saying. It was to me, um, I'm a darker humor type of person. And this is just, to me, on the get-go, to see it, it was just really stupid from the get from, from just me looking at the poster and me listening to him. And then again, back at college, you know, you know, yeah, you're just sitting there with some friends and somebody puts it on and you start going, is that John Boyd? Is that Vince Vaughn? Is that, and then you go, is that David Duchovny with a hand in a box? Is that, Oh my God, I love this. This is great. And then you go back, and I honestly, I did this with Anchorman. I did this with a couple movies where I was very, very judgmental. Whereas if we did this show back then, and you were like, Zoolander's coming out, I'd be like, I'm not seeing that crap. And you'd be like, come on, man, it kind of looks funny. I'd be really negative, and you'd be like, you didn't even give it a chance. That's why now I'm like the direct opposite, where this movie, this movie's funny. In a little while, we'll talk about the sequel, but this movie's funny. This movie is so quotable, and it's it's so dumb in the best possible way, but it also has, like, really great jokes. Like, I literally, I missed this joke, like, the first five times where Ben Stiller's talking to his dad who plays his agent. He's like, his dad agent goes, what do we do when we fall off the horse? And Ben Stiller looks at him and goes, I don't know, Murray. I'm not a gymnast. <laughs> <laughs> It's so stupid, but it's like such great wordplay. It is. Um, the the <laughs> this movie just makes me laugh. There's like, you know, it's just so hard to say. Um, like it's sometimes hard to talk about comedies because the only thing I can really say is like it just it's funny. Like the. <laughs> The whole like the scene at the beginning where like I can't hear "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go" without thinking of Zoolander now, and without thinking of a gasoline fight. <laughs> and then he's at the eulogy, and he's like, "Sometimes your friends 
can just die in a freak gasoline fight. <laughs> just, this movie is so dumb and it's so silly, and I absolutely love it. It's so rewatchable. This movie still makes me laugh. I just, I love this movie. It's good. I mean, it's as you just stated, man, it is extremely rewatchable. Now, after I have watched it a whole bunch, it's like, this is, this is, this is obviously, you know, I mean, it's in the top of his, his comedic work. You know, it's, it's good. It's also like um, before Hollywood would allow Will Ferrell to be a leading man. People are like, oh, that SNL dude, oh, he can only be in supporting roles. But like Will Ferrell would always like give it his all no matter what. So he's like great as Mugatu as the villain. Yes. Um, yes, he's really good at that. He plays like such a like he used a lot of the skills on SNL in the sense of like you could put him in any scene, whether he was a straight guy or the funny guy, and he would just make the scene better. And even though he often doesn't get the funny lines and some of the humor is him being the straight lace guy to Ben Stiller's goofiness. It's still fucking funny. And he still finds a way to make that straight man role funny. Uh, like if this hissy fit at the end, that's what look, it's just what look. I mean, like, he still gets a chance to be funny too. Like throws the coffee in his assistant's face. Like that's just what I'm going to do for this movie. It's just like me quoting this movie. Cause this movie's so immensely quotable. It is. Lots of quotes, you know, like as you stated, it's lots of fun. You know, I mean, it's you got Billy Zane, you got David Bowie. I mean, you got a lot of cameos. A lot, yeah. Uh, my wife's um parents for the longest time had this little dog and they they rescued it. Um, yeah, but for some, the dog was also like very stupid, like because it was just like a silly little dog. But also for some reason, the dog wouldn't ever turn left. If the dog <laughs> wanted to take off, he would like do a, a 180 turn. So we would call the dog Zoolander because it was dumb and couldn't turn left. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and it's, it's also like such a dumb thing to put in your movie. I can't turn left. There's, there's this funny. I got the black lung pop. Just oh like that God. whole. John Voight's face, just just and knowing who John Voight is too, and then just like him in that role. Um, Ridiculous. My my little kid, or when my my son was was super little, he would go ah, 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 when he <laughs> cough. So whenever he do that, my wife and I would turn to each other and goes, "I got the black lung pop." <laughs> and John Voight, his oh, when John Voight is is so good in that because like. He brings that gravitas of being an awesome actor to that little performance. Like the amazing line reading goes, God damn it, Derek. I want to see you with your little wiener hanging out for the world to see. And he does this like little motion with his hands. It's like an incredible line reading. That's like, oh yeah, you're an amazing actor, John Hoyt, for a reason. And like you you like Ben Stiller convinced you to just spend a couple hours to hang out with us. It's uh, this move, Merman. <laughs> Merman. This good. movie also has the benefit of, um, for the longest time, I I feel like comedies would kind of stutter out towards the third act, where like mm-hmm. a lot of the jokes were in the beginning, and then as the plot mechanisms of the comedy had to take full force, the you, the latter half of the movie wasn't as funny. And to me, like it's still kind of true with this movie, but there's still like tons of great jokes. Towards oh, yeah. the end of this movie, that actually I think it's going to be a problem with this next movie. That's where true. 
I, I don't think I think as the movie goes along, the the actual jokes kind of dissipate. Okay. Are you ready to move on to the next one? Yeah, and the next movie I am alluding to is Seven Years Later, directing Tropic Thunder. Maybe. You didn't look too good. Oh, I must drink so I can throw something up. No, don't drink that water. That water's like a petri dish. No, don't. Uh, Albert, do you have any booty sweat? I mean, I saw this movie in the theater, and when those fake trailers come up before you get to know those characters, I'm like, I am in for a treat. Um, so, you know, we've we talked about how, how you know how I was um, rewatching The Leftovers. I just finished it. Do you know who has co-writing screen credit on Tropic Thunder with Ben Stiller? Nah, not off the top of my head. No, Justin Thoreau. That's right. He sure does. That's right. Uh, he actually he shows up in in Zoolander as he's the yeah. DJ who has a DJ fight. Yes. Um, I just find that so fascinating. Where, like, the leftovers is one of the most serious drab shows of all time. Like that was the knock on it that it was like too serious. I personally love it. It's one of my favorite. But like. I think Thoreau gives like an all-time great performance in that show that's just so serious. Yet he now starts to have like co-writing credit on like a super goofy movie. I think that's like a wild IMDb page. I would love to know how funny Justin Thoreau was is in real life that he can just like flop you between that one movie. I mean, it's not very good, and I'm gonna bet you're gonna tell me no. But he did a movie with uh, Jennifer Aniston when they were going out called Wonderlust, and he's like a hippie, like. He's got these things. Is that the Paul Rudd movie? Yes, I think he's in there too. Yes, yes, Paul Rudd's in there too. Yes, I, um, I find I saw he, that movie in the theater. He does. He does. You know, that's the thing, though. Again, you know, it's 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 kind of kind of cool. He he was a part of that. This movie, its ability to skewer Hollywood and its parody of Hollywood is by far and away the best thing it has going for it. And that's why I think, like, especially the first act where they're like really like making the fake movie with Steve Coogan as the director is like really great. And as it kind of like has to like do the whole thing with the plot of like coming across the the um, the drug cartel in the middle of the jungle, mm-hmm. I think it kind of falters a little bit. And it's it's like, but it's like fine, but. Uh, we were talking a little bit also like before we started the camera started rolling is that Gen Z like clearly doesn't understand this movie and the amount of I feel like 14 year olds who like just know Downey Jr. from Iron Man who finally catch up on Tropic Thunder and see Downey Jr. in blackface that they have to like I feel like every three days on Twitter it's like hashtag Robert Downey's cancel party. <laughs> because like they don't understand the satire of that super serious actor. I'm a dude disguised as another dude playing another dude. Well, that's the thing, you know. It's not, like it, they do not understand. Do not uh, some don't understand that part. It's it's a joke. It's skewering 
those actors a little bit like they probably Dennis, they probably don't like uh jack black's uh performance as a heroin a heroin addled <laughs> addict out in the middle of the jungle or there or toby Maguire's performance as a priest in the beginning of the movie <laughs> that's such honestly, a uh that the last that was probably i laughed so hard in the theater when right before the end of that trailer he's like father i have sinned and then or whatever he says and then it goes i go oh my god they they got this movie it's gonna have some laughs um and i think it really really does the whole bit about um downey jr's character talking to stiller's character about simple jack like I don't want to use the R word because like maybe that part's a little bit insensitive and yes, we as a culture maybe shouldn't have repeated this line over and over again. That, that part but is like true. but like it's still like you can't go full no like, the thing about it is 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 it's more of like because I'll be honest with you, there's been times where I've gotten into it with people and I've been like, I see you in my head movies, like just like you make my eyes rain. Just like some of those lines are so good. Um, personally, I've never heard anyone even come close to saying anything like that in real life. It's just a movie. But uh... I mean, we've talked a lot, especially recently with the Oscars, of like the term Oscar Beatty. Mm-hmm. And like the fact that this, this movie skewers those Oscar Beatty performances with the simple Jack, like, and skewers those type of actors, like with Robert Downey Jr.'s character so well i just it's it's so well done that i just wish the the movie could keep up could keep up with like its great premise which is to me it's only flaw uh also i feel like we got to talk about tom cruise's cameo in this movie that's a good job which is like now that (laughs) i forgot it too but like tom cruise is like the harvey weinstein type producer (laughs) like just swearing and Yelling at Bill Hader, like, I will rip off your head and shit down your throat. And then he does the um, dance to Ludacris's Get Back for the credits. Like, the, the ability to keep that that cameo hidden. So to see that in the theater, I was like, oh. this is like a movie I'm super glad I saw in the theater. Um, it's also the type of movie where sometimes like I'm scrolling around my different services and I'm like, I just want a Tropic Thunder type movie where I want a little bit of production value. I want to laugh a little. Um, I want to enjoy some action scenes. I want to enjoy some comedy scenes. You like This Is The End? I love This Is The End. I feel like this, The End isn't streaming. No, it's not. But when you were describing a movie in my head, that's exactly, I don't know why that came to my head. Action, comedy, all over the place. A little production you know. value? Yeah, so, you know, that's what that's what this movie I like what they did because it's different. Um, it reminds me again, he brought some of his, you know, the Ben Stiller show. Like you said, those clips at the beginning. Um, I like there's things flowing in and out. Honestly, I think, it, you know, it's, you know, his his next two movies, I'm curious to hear what you think about, the, you know. But this movie is definitely, I think, really, really good. And everybody does a good job in it. I also love the... Um... The rapper's name is Alpa Chino. Oh yeah, that's that's great. But making fun of rappers who absolutely love Scarface. Oh yeah. So he named his rapper name Al Pacino. Such the, And then, the, you know, showing back up again, as I mentioned earlier from Night at the Museum is Steve Coogan. 
who sadly gets blown up. Yeah, Jack Black he brings back from the cable guy. Yep, and then um, I was also reading that he started this in his head when, which I didn't even know. I guess I didn't look deep enough when we were talking about Empire of the Sun during our Spielberg. I guess Stiller is in that. He started writing this during Empire of the Sun. Stiller's actually got some. There's a movie which I checked and it's not streaming anywhere, but I will find this copy for you. It's I call this movie. It's called. It's like a hillbilly roadhouse. This movie's got Patrick Swayze, Liam Neeson, and Bill Paxton all playing brothers. And the mobster, one of the mobsters is Ben Stiller. And it's a serious <laughs> role. And But this whole movie's like Roadhouse, where you don't take it seriously and you just laugh. Um, ben Stiller does a good job, again, back to this movie as, you know, getting Nick Nolte. That's a good role, too, in this movie. Nick Nolte plays it really, really, really well. Um, you know, $92 million budget, you know, $1,995 million. So, I mean, it did good. You know, I think if it would have did better, it might have had a possibly a sequel. I don't know. Cause I mean, I think, okay, let me put you this way and we'll, we'll, we'll in a second, maybe you can answer this. Would you rather have had a Tropic Thunder sequel or would you have rather have this, what we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, the Zoolander 2 sequel? And Okay. If you told me in 2015, before Zoolander 2, I would have <laughs> taken Zoolander because unless they could find, like, the genius of Tropic Thunder is not the plot of, you know, making a movie. So, like, you could just, like, make another movie, you know. Yeah. Take make another movie, That's but I didn't, think, I didn't think that deep into the question. Yeah. No, but you're absolutely right. They'd have to be making another movie too, and and like they'd have to to find some way, like maybe to to parody sequels or. Actually, I'm talking myself into the different answer. <laughs> it would be Tropic Thunder because then you're right. Like, especially Tropic Thunder now, and in, and especially 2016, where Marvel was like really taking over when Zoolander Two came out. Yeah. You could have parodied sequels and. Trying to try to do franchises, and then imagine you got the guy who's in part of the Marvel franchises right. copying the franchise. Like you would still have to find a way to to make a commentary on Hollywood, but I actually think that would have been more successful because I don't know that Zoolander's like there's anything deep to it. It's just silly. It's a very silly premise that this. The male models are dumb and can be brainwashed to kill prime ministers. That's, that's true. I mean, there's a little bit of like an anti-capitalist tint to Zoolander, but for the most part, it's just silly versus Tropic Thunder is at least trying to say something. That's true. And you actually probably could try to say something oh, uh, with with a sequel. But also like outside of Caddyshack 2, shout out to Not Larry, like... <laughs> This, it's not like there's a whole lot of like great comedy sequels that exist in the world, no matter what. So, not really. All right. All right. Uh, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Another five years later, he comes out with the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. That looks like fun. I don't want to jump in. Hey, what, what was the picture, Sean? We're going to be odd numbered if you don't join. What 
It's a movie that is written by Steve Conrad, uh, starring Kristen Wiig and uh, Adam Scott. And one of uh, Adam Scott can play only two characters: the lovable nice guy or the big fat dickhead. <laughs> and he plays the big fat dickhead uh, as the new boss of uh, Mitty. Um, this tells the story of uh, Ben Stiller is responsible for. Um, he's like a liaison for the Sean Penn character, and he keeps track of all these photos and photo negatives for Time Magazine. And as the company buys Time Magazine and they're putting out their last issue, um, Ben Stiller realizes that he lost the photograph that was supposed to be on the cover. And he also realizes that his life is in a rut. And so he goes on this great, huge adventure across the world to find the Sean Penn character to try to find this picture. But really, this movie is all about the friends we made along the way. And Ben Stiller is just trying to find himself. Um, let me, this is, I have a weird, not weird, but this is my Walter Mitty story. Um, I used to, there's used to be this like pop culture website called hitfix.com that I used to really love in part because it had my favorite um, TV um, recapper. His name is Dan Supnall. He writes for, Rolling Stone now, but there's this pop culture website I really liked, and they would keep track of Oscar prognostication. And they would be like, you know, as the award season go on, they think, oh, we think this movie is going to get best director and best picture. And they would try to predict the nominees. And for the in this movie come out 2013, for the longest time, this website was like, Walter Mitty, we actually think is going to get a best director nominee and Ben Stiller is in contention for best director. And then I remember the movie came out and the website was like, nope. <laughs> nope. We are wrong. This movie is not going to get any Oscar nomination. So at the time I was like, okay, well, if it's not going to get any Oscar nominations, I'm not going to see it. Uh, and then a couple of years, my wife was uh, on a plane. I can't remember why she was on a plane and not me, but she's like, I saw this movie on a plane, uh, Walter Mitty. It's like, oh, how was that? I was kind of interested in it. And she's like, eh. So I was like, avoided this movie for my entire life until uh, a couple of weeks ago when uh, we had to do this rankings. And uh, maybe because I was so down on it, I, I quite enjoyed this movie. I think it's solid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like it, 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 it's not bad. It's visually looks really good. Okay, and I, I think I, I get what he was going for. He's, he, it's, it. There's just something I think in the, in the, in the finished, in the finished debate. You know, um, it, it's a little too polished in some scenes, um, but. As you stated, the movie is, is is supposed to be a little a tender piece. You know, it's there's some like you said the, the friends we meet along the way. Lots of people in this movie again. You know, you got your Kristen Wiig. You said your Adam Scott, your Patton Oswalt. Um, you know, but I don't know. Something was missing. What that is, I don't know, and I don't think I'll ever look hard enough to find what it was. But you know, one good not the worst i think this is the, probably the first movie that katherine hahn and adam scott are in even though they don't share a scene together i even mentioned her name and i love yeah. katherine hahn yes katherine Hahn too. uh 
the polish of this movie is actually what I actually I really like that. I like the sleekness. I like the style of it. I actually think it is very well directed. Um, I really like the the fantasy scenes. Um, it, it's got a it's got a zip to it that I actually quite enjoyed. Um, it definitely. I think part of its problem is that it takes itself maybe a bit too seriously. I don't know. It probably needs a little bit more heart to it. Um, it's also to me like uncomplicated, which in a way I didn't mind, but I could maybe see how people like, uh, it could put people off. I don't know. I just, I was watching this movie and I was surprised. Like I thought this movie was actually quite well directed. I thought the direction that Stiller had in this movie, like really propelled me to care for it. And maybe it's cause the story's not a hundred percent there, or it's a bit too schmaltzy. The movie, that I th- thought the direction carried it for me in a way I enjoyed. You know, I used to be very judgmental on movies, and you know, I didn't know this at the time, but I, you know, I'm looking and I'm researching for this, and you know, it, it was in pre, it was in production for like 20 years before <laughs> Stiller. You know, and I'm not saying that that makes it good or bad, but like. Everyone from Spielberg had his name on it. And then he's like, you know what? I think I'm going to do War of the Worlds instead. And that's back in like 2004. I kind of wish um, you would have done this. Yeah. I mean, and you know who he wanted to work with is he wanted to work with Jim Carrey. He thought Jim Carrey, this would have been a good vehicle for Jim Carrey. It would have been a good vehicle for Jim Carrey. Um, and Jim Carrey was working with the company who had the rights. But then they lost the rights. This is the best part. Um Carey was then replaced by, well, Stiller's friend, Owen Wilson. Okay. And then from there, this is the most ridiculous, is that I uh, found Gore Verbinski was going to direct the movie with Sasha Baron Cohen um, leading the charge. And then Stiller took it. So I'm glad it got made. I guess glad it got off that production hell floor. But uh, I guess the fact that I could literally see everybody except for maybe Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. Like, I could see Spielberg directing this. I could see Verbinski directing this. I could see it starring Jim Carrey. I could see it starring Owen Wilson, which maybe kind of speaks to, you know, like, whenever we talk about Spielberg, I I often, like, rub against the, the mainstreamness that Spielberg has. And that's kind of, like, what this movie does. Like I could probably have gone to the theater and saw this with my mom, yeah. my dad and my grandma and my yeah. wife. It's one of those. Movies. Yeah. 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 Um, Which unfortunately, sadly, when I'm paying money at the box office, I'm looking for some grit and this, yeah. movie, this movie, but to feel good to make you feel good. This movie isn't, isn't the worst. Like this movie is a Christmas movie and I feel like it's a solid, like a kind of a quintessential Christmas movie. If you hey, we're just going out to the, you know, the the family just wants to see something where we all can enjoy. None of us will really be pissed off. This would have been a good film, but like it doesn't have any teeth to it. No, no. And I also think it helps that I I feel like because I've heard so many negative things about it before I saw it, I think it helped me like it versus. If you were excited to see this movie, it would have been a little bit of a letdown. I feel like it's that type of movie. Yeah. You know, and it's another movie that I think it comes from, you know, it comes from what other sort, it comes from another, it comes from a story, okay, this, by James Thurber. And personally, I'm not familiar with that story and I never read it. 
or would have read it before seeing this movie. But it also feels like it's based off a short story, doesn't it? But reading, yeah. But like in the reviews, the people who have read the story, that's where a lot of the complaints are coming from. Oh, well, that's which you know, honestly, honestly, I want to be really honest with you. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know if you do you collect comic books. I, no. I really, I really don't. I got three. That's it. That someone gave me, and it's like Deadpool because they, they thought I liked the movie. I never <laughs> opened it. That being said, I feel the same way when people compare, like, the comic book isn't the same as the movie. I'm the movie watcher. I just want to see a cohesive story. I, right. You know, you don't have to bring your comic book to the, the movies, but. That's... And in fairness, this is a cohesive story. It is. It is. It's probably, honestly, it's, it's as you mentioned earlier, I, I like. I think it was totally after talking with you better than cable guy, but you know, it's, it's like totally like flowing better is what I mean. Not right. A better tone, but all right. And then three years later, the last film he directs is Zoolander number dose. Uh, also another, Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I forgot we we're doing this. Sorry. To the club. Don and Tari is waiting for you down in the lobby. Oh, and don't drink the water, or you'll die. I just have one question. Yeah. What in the world is farm to table Wi-Fi? You're asking me, muchacho. Right there is a clip that kind of explains the humor in this because you didn't laugh as hard as you did in the first one. It's which is pretty much funny. Which is pretty much what it is in the movie, but go, yeah. What yeah I, I was just going to say, this is also co-written by Justin Theroux. Um, and yeah, the sequel to Zoolander, I don't remember a fucking thing about this movie, except for that it was bad. I, I, I remember... <laughs> you know I remember I mean? Will Ferrell like, pretending to be out of jail buff, and then he rips off his buff fake suit and you can't, you can't take something like the first Zoolander and like what you're doing is you're trying to stretch the joke. Even, in, you know, it, it just doesn't really work. And you know, another movie to compare it to is uh, the first Airplane classic comedy, but then they did Airplane 2. You know, I mean, it, you know, it's like scary movie two, three, four, five. The jokes become stale and honestly there isn't a whole lot at least scary really movie had like other movies. scary movies yeah, and i like even say that out loud that was bad because even scary movie two and three are academy award-winning compared to this movie um i just honestly and i and this one was one after you know i was like oh this but the jokes are over with man the jokes are done penelope cruz done wasn't good didn't like it yeah, and this movie I feel like was also trying to, I feel like make a point about vanity in the social media era, and just fell completely on its face. Like that's that's the tough thing with like comedy sequels, just in general. Of like, if it was a good joke, it would have been in the first movie, right? Yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard, except for the great Caddyshack too. <laughs> it's so hard to just do comedy sequels, and this one is. It's so tough because in the sense of like if you're Ben Stiller, you're like, shit, I like money. They're gonna make me money to make a sequel. I'll take money. But yeah. Like it's it's so hard. To, I feel like it's so hard to say no for creative reasons. And you should just like never do the sequel. No. No, 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 no. You don't you don't really want to. 
you know, to do to, 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 to do that. In fact, let's just move on to the even though it's not a film, the next I don't know if you have a picture for it. No, please. I don't. But uh, actually I, I think I'm back at the first one. Keep going. Talk. Um the next thing he directs is every episode of Escape at Danamora. Um, which is uh remember what network is on, Tony? Your favorite what? network. Oh, I'm even shocked that you even watched this show. It's on Showtime. It's a Showtime show, baby. It's uh, when I had, I think I got a free trial of Showtime a couple years ago, and it's like the first thing I watched. <laughs> um, because this this every episode is directed by Stiller. Um, I remember I was hearing interviews of him promoting it, like when he was like going around location scouting in upper uh, in upstate New York. Cause that's where the real prison took place. He had to convince people like, no, it's not a comedy. We're going to do this story. Right. Um, and he did the story, right. It tells a story. It's a real life story of uh, two prisoners um, in the show played by your boy, Paul Dano. And uh, who's the guy on screen? Whose name I'm forgetting. Uh, Benicio. Yeah. Benicio del Toro. And one of the guards in the prison is played by Patricia Arquette, and um, she's kind of a rube, and they play off of her. They, they also both are having a sexual relationship with her, and so they play off of her to help uh, them escape. Um, I think if you're watching the first couple episodes, the show should probably be called uh, Digging Underneath Dagamora. <laughs> there's a lot of digging, but eventually they do escape, and they do get caught up spoiler alert but it's like eight episodes and it's like a like when you have three amazing actors at the center of the story like and it's a really compelling story of like people really escaping from prison yeah i think this is this might be the best thing that ben stiller has directed yeah which is actually really exciting for me because you know Mitty's okay, but after Zoolander 2, you're like, well, work, you got to do something. And he actually has been getting involved in this television business, and I think he's doing really well at it. Escape, I always forget. It's Escape at Danamora. It came out in 2018. Um, and it's, it's a little bit frustrating in the sense that this is the type of story where it would have been a movie 10 years ago. Like, there's no reason to, like, this story could have been condensed. I do like that it was expanded because you really get to know these characters. Um, and you really get to tell the story right. But, like, this is, like, one of my favorite shows, like, post Mad Men and post Breaking Bad. And I know yeah. it's, like, a mini series and it's just one episode or one season. But it's done really well. Like, to me, yeah. this is, like... I would get a free trial and I would get Showtime for like a month just to watch the show. Well, there's about 20 other shows that I think that you would enjoy, including one that's coming back this weekend. It's called Yellow Jackets, which I'm shocked you still I have. Not. I've heard. I, honestly, send me your illegal links. I honestly, I I'm getting it for you. I will. Fi- it's not. I haven't given it to you because I don't want to. I haven't given it to you because I don't know fucking how. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to see Yellow Jackets. We got you got it. There's a there's a couple things on there that I know that you would enjoy, and I'm sure you'd enjoy to watch that new uh, that new uh, Waco that's going to be coming back out. That oh, week. I love the first Waco. Yeah, season. see, we're we'll get you t- hooked up. Don't worry. What um, about Severance? Did you like Severance yeah, as much the, as you the next thing that? that's 
Still didn't direct every single episode of Severance, but brings back Adam Scott. Definitely had authorial authority. He definitely had creative control of like the project. I remember Adam Scott was in an interview and uh, he was talking to Ben Stiller because Ben Stiller, after working with him on Walter Mitty, convinced him to do the show. And uh, Adam Scott was like, hey, I saw this really good rate like actor do a guest bit on Billions uh, for my coworker. And Ben Stiller goes, oh, that's cool. Uh, I'm thinking John Turturro. <laughs> and Adam Scott was like, oh, yeah, that's a much better choice. That's way, way um, better. Way better. Uh, I mean, solid cast. Christopher Walken. Um, Patricia Arcati brings back. Uh, Britt Lauer and Zach Cherry, a little bit under no names um, to, to round out the cast. So, yeah, so didn't direct all of them, but he directed the first couple and the last couple. And he also directed all the best uh, episodes of the first season. It's going to come back, I think, this year on Apple TV Plus. Like again, it's like got this like weird '70s vibe to it in the sense um, where like there are parts where in the workspace where it feels like it's directly out of like a '70s indie movie, and then maybe a little bit more realistic as you know the show is making fun of or talking about work-life balance, so you literally don't remember your life working uh, when you don't remember your life outside when you're working, you don't remember working when you're outside and Adam Scott gets involved in this mystery that he has to solve. And I mean, this is like one of the shows that like got nominated for 10 bajillion Emmys, mm-hmm. like still are got a directing Emmy nomination. Cause this episodes are really freaking good, but like the show got a best uh, show nomination. Adam Scott got a nomination. Like, it's a little bit unfortunate that Stiller's like doing this great work on TV in the sense of like, I just want good movies in the world. And if Stiller's going to make this good work, can he make a good movie? It's kind of emblematic of like Hollywood. The answer is like, no, you have to do it on TV. And while I like good TV as well, you know, I don't want to watch 10 million Marvel movies as movies. I would love to watch a a thriller mystery starring Adam Scott about work. You know what I mean? But Okay. So for the ranking here. Okay. I think it'll be pretty, I'm curious here. I, I think I got it. I, mean, okay. I, I mentally think I got where we're at. I'm just curious. It's the top spot that I'm curious of. Are you putting um, Tropic Thunder ahead of Zoolander? No, I love Zoolander too much. Okay, so we're we're all, we're not counting his TV work. I just wanted to give him a shout out for yes. his TV work. But for his six films, I think number six is clearly Zoolander two. Yeah. I have an issue for number five, but I don't think it's your number five. Yep. What do you got? I would put the Cable Guy five. I would put Walter Mitty five. That's fine. Can we put Cable Guy four? Cable Guy is four. Reality Bites three. Reality Bites is three. Tropic Thunder is two. I think this is the way it should go. You and Right fine. now, I could argue. And now, honestly, one and two could be flip-flopped. Yeah. I don't really have a horse in the race to sit and argue and say that Tropic Thunder is that much better than Zoolander because I love them both. Like you said, they're great. Um, the reason personally why I would put Tropic Thunder a little is just because, as you stated earlier, a little bit more of some of what they're trying to say and what they're trying to get out. Or what That's Zoolander, what I you know. But honestly, you wouldn't be wrong. And the only just, reason this is I already put this together. And, you know. <laughs> I just I laugh at Zoolander in a way that I don't like still that I don't laugh at Tropic Thunder. But what um, movie is a better filmed movie? 
Because you talk about prestige well, a lot. But that's not fair because Tropic Thunder is purposefully bigger because it's making fun of Hollywood movies. Well, there we go. So, you know, I said this is also a good uh, a good setup. I mean, honestly, as you stated, you could flip, honestly, and I almost did, you could flip Cable Guy and Walter Mitty. And you could flip Zoolander and Tropic Thunder. You know, I think, and, and either way, if, wherever it would land would be. I'm fine. If we're doing a consensus. Yeah. Topic Thunder 1, Zoolander 2, Reality Bites 3, Cable Guy 4, Midi 5, Zoolander 2, 6. Perfect. That is our official hookup on film director director rankings of the great Ben Stiller. Like and subscribe. Do it. All right. uh, Before we end the show, I just wanted to briefly talk about The Mandalorian, which is now back on Disney+. Plus. Uh, and mainly I wanted to talk about the last episode that aired, um, which is this weird split episode of half of it was like this, uh, you know, th- with Bo-Katan and, and Din Djarin. But then there's like this whole like mini thing in the middle, like this whole mini episode about this scientist that like we apparently had met before, but I completely forgot because the show takes like five years off in between. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like, like I, I like I watch every single every single Star Wars thing, but I don't consider myself like a Star Wars nerd. And it felt like this was like an episode specifically for Star Wars nerds. <laughs> like, I, you sure you want to use that term? You sure you <laughs> want to? I mean, I mean. Star People Wars, like Star Wars a lot. You know? Star Wars enthusiasts. There we go. I like that. I like that. If, Not but, because I don't agree with you. Because you know, <laughs> that's <but>. fine. <laughs> um, there's this like there's a whole culture around like these nerd fandom shows like Star Wars, and I really like the one that I'm a fan of personally is called Screen Crush, and like these YouTube creators and podcast creators, like this whole ecosystem around them, which is like fine, and sometimes it helps me understand an episode better. But with an episode like the split weird half episode that we got last week, it felt like it was solely for these YouTube creators and podcast creators who like really deep dive and like really know their stuff in a way that I don't, which I also found annoying because I feel like I'm the even apparently like viewership is down this season for the Mandalorian so far, but there's still people like me who like, I like the show a lot. I'll always watch a show. I'll watch it every week. But it's not like I know every single droid or like I know all this character and that character or that was an alien before. You know what I mean? I'm not that super into it, but I like I know my stuff where I can kind of sort of explain to my wife. But like when she's like, who's this guy? Like I had to fucking Google him. And I feel like that that shouldn't that it's going too far over my head in a way. that And I'll put it to you this way. I agree with everything that you said. Even up until you said it's over your head. I agree with all of it because it's over my head. But unfortunately, what, what it's like is like you, you're on the radio and you just listen to the new Grateful Dead song that they put out. So then you're at the concert and they're playing for 20 minutes on that song. They're jamming and you're like, what? They have the three-minute song on the radio. They're not doing this for me. And then you realize, well, wait a minute. It's not really about us. It's about it's, – it, we are watching the show and we enjoy it. This show is really aimed for the enthusiasts, and it's gonna. Is suck. it though? I feel like Obi Wan's for the enthusiast. I, I think. I feel like the Mandalorian's I think, for I think everyone. You don't like Obi Wan. 
Which I is don't. true. <laughs> no, no. So like what we do when we don't like things is we say, okay. And I do this all the time. I go, oh, uh, oh, you want some of my uh, beans on my plate? Well, why am I offering? Well, because I don't like them. Well, the show is starting to turn into, as you stated, it's it's fanfaredom. And I'll be honest with you. Half of the stuff I'm staring at the screen, it's going like this. Boop, boop. Yeah. Now, if, if this was like a Sopranos like spinoff or Breaking Bad, my face is like this, I know. But when it comes to droids and robots and other worlds, it's cool. I get what you're saying, though. I mean, if you're trying to pay attention to it and they start throwing out these information, like that's how I, I'm like... At this point, I'm just shaking my head and nodding and excited that it's something Star Wars. But there are moments where, like, the show goes too far into itself, like with the book of Boba Fett and that Cad Bane character that you and I really liked because it was based upon like Austin Western tropes that we like from the movies. But it's a character where it was in this cartoon show that we don't watch because we're not that big of fans of it that they introduced for two episodes and then he dies. And it's like moments like that where the show is like, you're going a little bit too far into yourselves, man. If you want to introduce a character, especially a character that seems as dope as that Cad Bane character was, maybe make him the villain for the entire season and not the episode uh, of the finale. That's true. And the show is like, like I realized later was like setting itself up for the seven, eight, nine trilogies. Like they're setting in this world for like, how can. You know, now that the rebels have won, what is the world? What is this galaxy like that the evil empire essentially can take its place again? Yeah, which is fine, and I get it. I just I wish I didn't do it in the middle of my Mandalorian show. <laughs> I, that's my problem because the show started off as like an adventure of the week. That's what made its first season so good. And I don't even mind this whole storyline because apparently this whole Bo-Katan stuff is in the cart. A cartoon too which i don't even care because i thought that part is successfully integrated into the show but like now i feel like there's too many cooks in the kitchen where you get an episode like this where it's like technically very well done well it doesn't sound like they're ever stopping from everything i read i know they'll take time off pasquale said it he'll do it till the till he's till he's done he's gonna wear the costume till he's, he's dead he's gonna quote unquote wear the costume till. yeah so that's quote unquote kind of what he said listen i'm sure um Pedro loves this because he sits in a booth for two hours a day and knocks oh, off yeah. half a season worth of work. Yeah, get that money, man. You but like, about money, yeah. I just I thought this last episode was one of the more unsuccessful ones. And considering I have a movie and TV show podcast, I wanted to rant about it. Oh, well, since you wanted to rant about this, and I'm sure you would either watch this is when I tell you this next thing, you're either gonna say three things. Never watched it. I watched the first episode and I bailed. That's or, 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 or three. Uh, I don't even think there's a three. Uh, Perry Mason has come back on HBO, and that's a really, really good show. Choice A. Never watched it. All right. And I'm shocked because, honestly, another show that is really, really something I think that you would enjoy. Um, you brought up Dana Mora, and that's why, honestly, like you say D- uh, Dana Mora and I peek up. You say Mandalorian, and I'm like looking at my phone. Like, <laughs> I like the Mandalorian, and I enjoy it. But like, I give a shout out to, to to some of the some people out there who really, 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 really go in depth in it. Like I've watched, you know, I've watched other people talk about it, and they they love it. I like it. It's good. 
Uh, Perry Mason, which I'm about to hop off here and watch the newest episode. You know, it's it's good. Definitely worth checking out. We love when you rant here. I love when you rant. So uh, always ranting is always is always welcome. And you know, so it's okay to rant. Sounds what else good. we got? Anything else? No, let's uh, send it here. Thank right. you so much for listening and or watching. Check out Tony's wife is killing it on our Instagram at the Hookup on Film Podcast. If you want to check out our letterbox, it's the hookup on film. If you are just listening to this and want to check out our YouTube, we're going to eventually break down the Ben Skill, the Ben Stiller discussion into its own segment on our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash at the hookup on film. Uh, our Twitter is the hookup on film. You can find me on Twitter at millennial socks. You could find me at the sugar baggie and really quick to just show you the kind of magic that goes into the uh, Instagram account is earlier. My wife asks me, how's work going? And all I did was send her a picture of Lewis Bloom from the Nightcrawler, just a picture of him. And she goes, you know, I'm going to post about this later. She didn't even go, oh, your day's bad. Oh, you're Lewis Bloom. <laughs> she literally responds and goes, oh, that's a good one to post about later. And I go, I don't think that's why I was sending it to you, but that being said, thank you so much, everybody. Uh, we will check in with you next week for more awesomeness. Peace out. Peace.